Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome to One Day Sunday. My name is Bron and I'm a pastor here at the Chapel Collective. Uh, however you found yourself here, maybe someone invited you along because you were someone who said to them that you'll go to church with them one day and found yourself unable to get together in a building. Or maybe someone has shared the link with you and said, please just watch this to the end. However you found yourself here, welcome. This is your one day. I am really believing that you're going to get a lot out of today and it's going to help inform your decision about Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you're familiar with this storyline, this old chestnut of a storyline, uh, whereby young lawyer, young good looking lawyer in the city um, works his way up the ladder, works night and day, goes hard, makes partner, gets the corner office, gets all the money, uh, gets the apartment on Central Park, gets the toys, gets the fast cars, um, international holidays, lives the high life and only to find that it's chipping away at his soul. And what we find is that what he really thinks he needs is love. And he just needs someone to love him and he needs to love someone in return. And so after near misses and tensions and comings and goings and toings and froings, after seven seasons, he eventually marries the person that we thought he should have been with the whole time. Uh, well, what they never do show you is the five years later episode. It takes the series finale for the wedding and the reception and them driving off in the car and kissing dangerously in the car uh, as they speed off into their honeymoon and the rest of their life. But they neglect to show you the five years later episode where the wife has um, had, the, who was this glorious, gorgeous young um, assistant who became COO, who uh, was, you know, ready to go. She's now got a thyroid condition and has put on 20 kilos. And, uh, and her once gorgeous red hair, she's had two kids. And so after the pregnancy, that's all falling out. Um, they failed to show the backstories of the families of origin and, and failed to show that one family, uh, that her family never told her the importance of squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, that their family, it was just a free-for-all. It was chaos. It was a nightmare. And they actually used to squeeze from the middle of the toothpaste tube. And they didn't even put the cap on properly. So when you come to it, there's all crusty bits around the opening of the toothpaste. It's a debacle. And, uh, and as he goes to brush his teeth, he slams the half empty, half squeezed out toothpaste tube on the basin and thinks to himself, how can I possibly live like this? Why didn't her parents teach her the proper way to squeeze toothpaste? And there she is at Coles and, and she's wheeling the trolley and she's just come to a standstill in the middle of the pasta and noodles aisle. And she's had this flashback to when they used to sit in his corner office after a hard day's work overlooking the city. And they used to eat um, takeaway noodles out of the box, followed up by decade old scotch in highball glasses. And she can't remember the last time she ate a carb, but keto still eludes her. She can't get into ketosis no matter how hard she tries. And she looks at the meager ring and she's like, how has my life come to this? And why didn't his parents teach him the value of marital faithfulness? They never show you those episodes five years later. It, it looked so rosy. It looked like everything was okay because they'd found the person who loved them and who they were going to love. And it was all going to be peaches for the rest of their lives. 
This is a familiar storyline, not only in TV shows, but in movies, in songs. If I were to say that um, what the world needs now is, I wonder if you would know that it's love, sweet love. If I were to say it lifts us up where we belong, where the eagle flies on the mountain high, I wonder if you would know what it is. If I were to say the Beatles said, all you need is this, all you need is this, all you need is this, this, this is all you need. Would you know what this is? It's love. We're all craving love. We feel like if we could just be loved properly as we need to by someone, then our life would be so much better. Now, it's kind of a, a sentiment that we get to have because we're so affluent in other parts of the world. They're thinking, if I could just get enough food for tomorrow for my family, we'd survive. Whereas we're thinking I could live my best life if I could just find someone who would love me and love me well. We understand the sentiment. And actually it's echoed by the Apostle Paul when he writes these words in Ephesians. He says, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's saying here, if you could know how loved you are, it would change everything. If you could know just how perfectly loved you are, everything for you would change. <clears throat> and this sentiment he gives with a qualification because he says it's the love of God. It's being ground in the love of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference. It's not just the love of the person who has failed in the past to love you properly. It's the love of God. And the Apostle John writes that God is love, that love comes from God, that his love is shed abroad in our hearts that he is the one who brings love to our life. And in fact, the Bible from beginning to end uh, containing and compiled of letters and books and songs and dramas by 40 different authors and 66 different sections across thousands and thousands of years has this consistent message of the love of God for humanity. It is right there and, and it's there at the beginning. This idea that God wants to dwell with us all the way through to Jesus arriving into time, the son of God, who then shows how much he loves us by laying down his life. And then the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with us and, and, and that being uh, what God says, well, that will do for now, but there's going to come a time where I'm going to physically dwell with you forever. Physically, we will dwell with each other forever and there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. And that is going to be Eden restored and redemption complete. That is what he says. He's always wanted to dwell with us right from the very start. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Love. God is love. Love comes from God. God gives his love to us. And as we're loved perfectly and wholly, it changes everything. Well, I, I feel like when I make a statement like that, 
that some questions naturally arise and one common one that I've heard is, well, if God is such a loving God, how come there's so much garbage going on in the world? And, uh, and I'm going to attempt to help us think about that today. If God is such a loving God, why is there so much rubbish in the world? Well, like I said, his forever plan has been for us to dwell together. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe uh, someone sent you this and you just need to watch through to the end to tick that off to let them know. But I want you to think objectively for a moment, even if you don't believe in God, just suppose for a moment that God was true, the creator of the heavens and earth and creator of all the things in the earth. If he were to dwell with us forever, the dynamics should be right, that he is the one who is the, the boss, the, the king in that relationship. We should trust in that, in him because he's God, he's the creator of heavens and earth. And, and we're supposed to put our trust in him and put our times in his hands and put our lives in his hands and say, God, I know you've got it because you're so much wiser than I am. Well, uh, that necessita necessitates it not being on our terms, but it being on his terms. Here's the thing. I love God. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was 15 years old. I made him the Lord of my life. But the whole trusting him and not going my own way, I fail that on a regular basis. There are so many times when I try to take control back and I want to control things and I want to be in charge of my life and I want to go my own way. Well, let's just call that what it is for a second, because if I told my toddler not to do something and they went and did it, I would know that that's actually rebellion, that that toddler is rebelling against me. So let's call what we do as it is. If we're not going God's way, then we are actually rebelling against God. We might not be in an uprising or a revolt against God. We might not be shaking our fist at the sky or flipping God the bird, but we are rebelling Nonetheless, in the same way that my toddler's not starting a revolt, my toddler's not shaking their fist, my toddler's not flipping the bird at me, but my toddler is very, very much rebelling against what I say. So this rebellion has always been the story of humanity. It started right back at the beginning. It is perpetuated. We might not have initiated it, but we certainly perpetuate it through our actions each and every day. And the Bible calls this sin. We want to go our own way. We don't want to go God's way. Another way that the Bible calls it is it's missing the mark, missing the target. You can miss by an inch or you can miss by a mile, but you're still actually missed. And the trajectory of that, uh, if you were to shoot an arrow, you might only miss by an inch, but, but get further down the track and it's a long way away from where the target would have been. Uh, uh, that's how sin works. And generationally, sin has perpetually, generationally caused humanity and our world even to not be the way that it's meant to be. You might follow a little thing called the coronavirus. Um, it's one of the numbers that's tracked around it is this number that says, well, it's 1.3, for example, uh, in New South Wales, oh no, sorry, in Victoria to date, which means that if 10 people um, have the coronavirus, then 13 people will catch it. Well, it's said that the Delta strain unencumbered without any opposing measures is a six to eight, meaning that if 10 people have it, 60 or 80 people will catch it. It, it gets its own roll on and our world and, and sin is like that in humanity. It gets its own roll on. It gets its trajectory, which doesn't get better and better, but gets worse and worse. We try to use our intellect to get ourselves out of this and to reason all this. And it would be, I think, for us to try and reason our way out of it. As Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. 
because we can't possibly reason our way out of this. This is the story of humanity. We don't want to go God's way. And so God made sure that he had a plan for that. Now, you might say, well, if God knew we were going to do all that bad, then why did he even create us in the first place? Because we have to take responsibility if we're to say, well, look at the bad things now. Well, there's global warming. Um, there's all these different things. And we'd go, well, a lot of that's actually caused by humanity. Well, why did God create us? That would be the next question that I've often heard. Why are there such bad things in the world if God is such a loving God? And if we're the ones who caused it, why did God bother creating us in the first place? This is a really good question. Uh, I want you to stay with me. I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to explain it. To secure our yes, he had to risk our no. To secure our yes, he had to risk our no. And we are people who he wanted to enter into relationship with. He didn't want us to be mindless drones, clones or any other thing like that. He wanted to have us in relationship. And in order for that to be the case, he wanted us to choose that relationship with him. He wanted us to have free will in order to voluntarily enter into a relationship with him. So if he wanted to give us that, he had to allow us to say no in order to allow us to say yes. Now, this is a tricky circumstance because we could look at it and go, oh, okay, I understand. Like we get to choose. That's great. We're not like a trained dog that comes when God says come and go when God says go. Okay, I get that. But is it really worth it? As I look at the destruction of the world around me, is it worth my yes? Is it worth being created for all the bad things that are going on? Here's the thing. God thinks you are worth it. God would look down through time and think, you're worth it. You're worth it. Isn't that incredible? And he's got a plan for all the rest. He's got a plan for, to bring all the rest to redemption and to res restoration and to make it all better. But he would say that you are worth it. You are worth it. I was uh, a teenager and I was getting to the point where I wanted to live my own way. I did not want to live God's way at all. And so I was weighing up things and trying to decide if I just chuck it all in and go my own way and uh, forget the whole God thing altogether. And I, I distinctly remember because I was doing my daily job that I had to do as a kid, which was to collect chips for the fire. I was at the wood pile and my dad was walking past after a hard day out in the farm. He was had muck all over him as he usually did, going to the tank stand to clean up. And as he walked past, I went, Dad. And he said, yes, Bronnie. And I said, Dad, if Jesus came and died on the cross and not one single person accepted him, would that mean that it was all for nothing? And Dad said, yeah, yep. But even if just one person accepted him, then he would consider it all worth it. Let me tell you today, he considers you worth it. He considers that you are worth all of this to have relationship with you, to make that possible. Now, something that might follow is, isn't that a bit narcissistic that God would allow all this stuff to happen just so that I love him? Like, does he just need these adoring people everywhere? You might have a point if he was some far off God who didn't enter into the midst of any of our suffering, but that's not who God is. Like I said, he's always wanted to dwell with his people and his story is always of his, his dwelling with his people. The good, the bad and the ugly. He knows what it is to suffer. And Jesus Christ walked this earth and he knew what it was to suffer. 
He suffered misunderstanding. He suffered slander. He suffered his very best mates um, abandoning him right when he needed them the most. He suffered um, torture. He suffered beatings. He suffered his family um, misunderstanding him. He, He suffered death on a cross. He suffered like us. So whatever you're going through, if you think that God must be some narcissistic being who makes it all about himself, that's not the case. He enters into our suffering. He actually says that in the midst of your suffering, the good, the bad and the ugly, I will never leave you or desert you. Not only does he suffer like us, he suffered for us. This is a tricky concept to get our heads around, but he suffered for us. Jack Nicholson said that we can't handle the truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, in fact, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the father except through me. I am the way. I'm the way to get to the father. I am the truth. I am. I encapsulate truth. I am the word. I am truth. And I will give you life if you'll follow me. Why? Why did he need to do that? We might look at it and go, why why did he need to die on the cross? This was this moment in time, but it actually affected all of time. He stepped into time to live as a man but and died on the cross as a man. So it had to be a man in order to die. But it affected all of time. It affected everything, all the way to the past, all the way to the future. And if we were to look at it and go, well, God could have just forgiven us. Why did he need to do that? That would be to minimize sin. And that would be to say that, well, sin's not that bad. We don't necessarily understand it, but sin clearly is that bad. It would be to minimize God's holiness, God's righteousness and God's sense of justice. If he was willing just to ignore it and and say, yeah, sure, sin is bad, but I'm just going to ignore it. I'll just forgive you guys. No one needs to pay. No one needs to clean it up. I I was a really chilled mum. I had these little kids and three under five at one point. You know, I was super chilled. I was super relaxed. I would say too relaxed at times. I would definitely say too relaxed at times. And I remember this one time we went around to our friend's place and and you would know that if your child is toilet training and they want to go to the toilet, you don't send them self, do you send them off on their own to the toilet or at the very least to your friend's bathroom. At the very least, you would check that bathroom after they'd been there. But really, you should go with them and make sure it all goes according to plan. Well, I was like, oh, you go. I'm having fun here. We're chilled out. Yeah, this is great. And um, found out later that our friends had had to clean up a whole lot of mess in the bathroom that we'd just left. And and we'd left it there and and they had to clean up all this poo. The fact is, somebody's got to clean up the crap. Somebody's got to clean up the crap. And we can either live in it and pretend that it doesn't exist, but it's still there. Uh, But Jesus said, I'll clean this up. I'll make this work. I'll, I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll do what is necessary in order for someone to clean up the mess. There's this movie based on a true story, Avengers Endgame. You might have seen it. And pretty much there's this guy called Thanos. He's a titan and he's a genocidal warlord. And he comes, he wants to um, get rid of half the population to restore stability to Earth. There's this guy called Doctor Strange, who is part of the Avengers, who goes to fight him. Um, and, and basically half the population is obliterated. Doctor Strange is sitting there trying to work out how to get everybody back. And he looks into the future um, and he works out 14,605,000 possibilities that, and out, possible outcomes that could occur. And he says, 
um, look, there's only one where we win. There's only one possibility in 14,605 possible outcomes where we win. You know what? <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Strange. But God is, he stands outside of time. Jesus said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I know the end from the beginning. I know it all. I stand outside of time. And he said, I know that in order for the 107 billion, billion people that have ever lived on the earth and who is to come, that in order to dwell with them, this is what I need to do. And I trust in that. I trust in what he's done. He made a way in advance for us to be able to come to him and for, for him to be able to look at us and say, I forgive you and I forget your sins. So the only question that remains would be, are you ready to put your trust in him? Are you ready to put your trust in him? You might say, Brian, I've got one question left, one concern. There's my three questions. Yeah, you, you covered them off. I'm, I'm, I can see where you're coming from, but how about Christians? Like, Christians. And Gandhi kind of resonated with you when he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are nothing like your Christ. But I think that we just need to acknowledge that we've got to cooperate with the love of God that is given to us. Let me, it says, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. We need to trust in him in order for him to make his home in our hearts. Your roots will go, grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. We need to actively do that. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We need to acknowledge that we need the love of God. We need to dwell in the love of God. We need to cooperate or act in opposition to the love of God and the change that it is working in our hearts. You, because of this um, level of ability to cooperate or not, Christians may be among the best people that you know. They may also be among the worst people that you know, but it's all about letting God and, and letting His love change our hearts. I was sitting by the deathbed of a dearly loved person once, and she was wrestling. She was happy to go and be with Jesus. She had an assurance about where she was going. She faced death with courage and with confidence, but she was still wrestling. One of the things she was wrestling with, she said, Bron, who's gonna pray for my kids? I looked at her and said, I, I will pray for your kids. And so I set an alarm and every day that alarm goes off and I pray for her children. And for the first six months, I kind of prayed very general prayers. But from then on, every day, I've prayed that they would know the love of God because I know that the love of God can change everything. Are you ready for the love of God to change you? Are you ready for the love of God to come into your heart and for you to be able to shed it abroad in our world? You might still have questions, but don't forget that verse says that this love surpasses knowledge. It is bigger than your understanding. Your questions may not go away, but the bigness of God's love will cause them to get a lot smaller. The Bible says that to as many as have believed in his name and have received him, to them he has given the right to become the children of God. Will you believe in him today and will you receive him as your Lord? Will you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you may be saved? What would be holding you up today? My nan had been in the Cowra Methodist Church for many, many years, a, a, a pillar in that church with six children in youth group and kids church. 
and uh, everybody knew her as a pillar of that church. But in a Billy Graham um, radio campaign in the town of Cowra, in front of the whole town, she went in the front and gave her life to Jesus Christ. We're not going to ask you to go out the front today. There's no front to go out to. You're watching this online. But will you make a decision in your heart that says, Jesus, I want to follow you? Will you receive him? Will you become his child? Will you let his love come into your heart? Will you receive his peace and have peace between you and God? Will you receive the promise for eternity, an eternity that means that you have eternal life? And will you receive the power that he will give you to live this life? I'm going to pray a prayer. It's going to come on the screen. And I would ask you to pray it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. I've gone my own way and I don't want to anymore. I want to go your way. Jesus, I put my trust in you and what you've done. Forgive me of my sins, heal my heart, and make me one of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you now have peace between you and God. You have the promise of eternal life and you have the power to live this Christian life because the Holy Spirit has come and dwell in you, dwelt in you. But don't, this is not the end. This is not a pray and now we're done. No, this is a lifetime commitment journey to Jesus Christ. And we would love to help you with that journey. We've got a five day devotional that we'd love to send you to help you kick off and kickstart um, your walk with Jesus. Please contact us via the QR code that's up on the screen now um, or go to the link in our, um, on our website. We would love to stay in contact with you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.